0: Morning, brothers and sisters. I may open God's word with you in the gospel according to John. We'll turn for our reading to John chapter 13, where we read together the verses 31 through 38. John 13 verses 31 through 38. As we anticipate the gospel message this morning on the reinstatement of the Apostle Peter into office, we do so with John 13 as the background, as context for his reinstatement. And after we've heard from God's word, we'll sing in response Psalm 18, Stanza 2. When he, that is the one who betrayed the Lord Jesus, had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. For one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not grow till you have denied me three times. This morning I may... Proclaim to you the word of our God as we find it in John 21, the verses 15 through 19. John 21, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That's our our text from John 21. In response to the preaching of God's word, we'll sing hymn 35, the stanzas 3 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the most precious truth of the Reformed faith is at the same time the truth we struggle to accept the most in our life. Salvation, it's all of grace. The Bible's picture of salvation is that it is the work of God alone, and we savor that truth, we rejoice over that truth, yet at times we run against that very truth. It shows, for example, in how we at times regard our service toward the Lord. Can you identify times in your life when you serve the Lord out of guilt or shame? It happens that when we really blow it in the eyes of the Lord, we often have this feeling that we need to do something in order to make it right between God and us once again. We need to make up somehow for our failure We have to do something to silence our remorse, study God's word a bit more, pray more earnestly, do more acts of charity, etc. None of this is to say, of course, that to do good works, to study God's word more or to serve God's people more is of no meaning or value. Yet when we do these things because we need to satisfy God, we need him to love us more, then I'm afraid we've forgotten what it's all about. Our serving the God of grace may not be based on guilt or shame, but upon love for him. Our very identity as people of God is a people loved by God, Therefore, our identity also includes that we are people who are learning to love him back. Christ Jesus has made up for our failures, our sins. He has forgiven our past. He is transforming our present for the future. And so there is only one way you and I may prove ourselves thankful for what Christ has done. We prove ourselves thankful and joyful by loving our Savior in return. This is indeed what our Savior wants to teach us in our text, as he reinstates his apostle. The foundation on which he places us to serve him, is the foundation of love of learning to love the god who loved us first so i proclaim to you this word of the lord the risen lord publicly reinstates peter to his office of service and we see three things first the push the motivation for this reinstatement secondly the procedure at this reinstatement thirdly the promise in this reinstatement. So, firstly, the push for this reinstatement. Now, there is some unfinished business, we understand, between the Lord and Peter. As the two of them meet there on the beach, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Peter stands as a man with some baggage. He's fallen from the rank of the disciples by denying the Lord Jesus on Good Friday. Not only did he turn his back on the Lord, he publicly denied him. He rejected any kind of connection to him. He disowned his very master. He even did so under oath, Matthew records. He called upon God as witness that he didn't know the man all of this within earshot of the Lord himself, who looked straight at him after the rooster crowed. Luke 22, verse 61. So by denying the Lord three times, Peter had isolated himself also from the rest of the group. Now if ever someone were to feel like a failure in life, Peter would probably put himself at the very top of that list. His actions have made a mess of his life. Peter himself would never have anticipated this. He was often the one, you remember, who wanted to be first among the disciples. Already in John chapter 6, verse 60 and following, we come across a point in Jesus' ministry where many of his disciples left him turned away, no longer followed him. <clears throat> well, then Jesus tur- then turns to the twelve and asks, do you want to go away as well? Peter speaks up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's a powerful confession from a very earnest and loyal disciple. Consider also what we read from John 13. That's only a few weeks before the event of our text. The Lord Jesus explains to his disciples that he would be leaving for a while. Peter responds and asks, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. In the account by Matthew, it's worded a little differently. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Lord, whatever happens, I'm going to be there. Even if the devil wants to see me dead, I will do that for your sake. Oh, that's Peter who had always thought he loved his Lord more than any of the other disciples did. But he doesn't even last to the crucifixion, how far he's fallen. And yet in light of this very fact, the Lord Jesus went to work in Peter's life. He reacts to Peter's denial with a compassion so deep that it could only be from God what happened already on Easter morning. We find the Lord Jesus making a point of seeking out Peter. He revealed himself to Peter alone. Mark 16, verse 7, we find the angels saying to the women at the tomb, go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And we find out from the Apostle Paul In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, that the Lord appeared to Peter, then to the eleven. Christ made a point of privately meeting with this fallen disciple to reconcile with him, to call him back to repentance. The Lord Jesus was so busy, so very shortly after leaving the tomb, to graciously bring back one of his own. Into the fold. And yet, as we said, this was something that happened privately. Peter's full reinstatement was something that had to be done publicly. For Peter had previously boasted publicly of his own strength, his own resolve to stick it out to the end. He had boasted this in the presence of his fellow disciples. And his threefold denial of the Lord—that was equally a public matter. In the high priest's courtyard, Peter stood by the fire, <clears throat> by the fire, along with the servants and officials of the high priest. <clears throat> and he was asked repeatedly, "You are not one of his disciples, are you? You also were one of those men with Jesus of Galilee. Certainly, you are one of them." Peter publicly responded, I don't know the man. I'm not one of his. Peter denied in public under oath that he had any connection to Jesus. Now Today, any of our office bearers who denies Jesus Christ in either his teaching or his preaching would get suspended or deposed according to Article 72, the church order, under the sin of faithless desertion of office. Peter, therefore, by denying Christ, had faithlessly deserted his office. He needs to be restored to public ministry. and The Lord sets out to do this in a public setting. Brothers and sisters, this meeting then is not in the first place for the Savior's sake so that he can be assured of Peter's love for him. He knows that already, as Peter will say. Instead, this meeting is about the head of the church publicly reinstating Peter to his office, the office of apostle. Christ wants to, Christ needs to build his church and to that end he requires faithful office bearers to minister to Christ's flock. That's the push for this reinstatement in our text. And so Christ goes to work restoring a fallen office bearer. It comes out already in the very first words Jesus uses. Simon, son of John. The only other time that the Lord Jesus addresses Peter in this way was before Peter was first called to be his disciple. That happened likewise at the Sea of Galilee. Now here in our text we see Peter out of office. When he is addressed as Simon, he would have undoubtedly felt a deep sense of humility by now, Simon was used to being called Peter or Cephas, which means rock. Being called Simon now would have confronted Peter with his recent action of denying loyalty to the Lord. The rock, you see, had recently crumbled. The Lord's intention here, brothers and sisters, is to bring Peter back into the fold. And so he uses a setting and words that have very obvious connections to when he first called Peter to office. Called him as Simon at the Sea of Galilee, at the scene of a great uh, catch of fish. The Lord wants Peter to now reclaim that calling and status among the disciples as a fisher of men. Indeed, The Lord Jesus here is preparing and equipping Peter to minister again to the flock. This was the push, the reason Jesus wants to restore Peter to his apostleship. And that's to say, congregation, that the ultimate motivation for Jesus to restore Peter was for the sake of you and me. Christ wants his flock to be served. He's motivated in our our text out of a love for us. Three times in our passage, he commands Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. The risen Lord reinstates Peter to his apostleship to minister to his flock. It's for the sake of my lambs, Simon, son of John, that I want to bring you back. Peter, along with the rest of the apostles, was to be an eyewitness of Christ's ministry, especially his resurrection, so that the church of all ages and all places might be fed with the truth of our salvation. Peter, before this moment, had made himself unworthy of, of the apostleship unworthy to pass on to others the good news of christ he needed to be restored for his sake and for ours the apostle peter was to serve as a vital to serve a vital role in the establishing and the equipping and the advancing of his church through peter and the other apostles much of the New Testament would be recorded. Were it not for Christ's efforts here in our text, in other words, you and I would be deprived of our very salvation. and So we cannot help but see once again the compassion of our Lord. He saw to it that you and I would be well fed on account of the future work of the apostles this is the lord you and i know and are called to serve he's never changed it's in that light then also his under shepherds today work office bearers work in light of what we know about our savior he's compassionate he's very merciful he cares deeply for his sheep He put aside his personal pride to restore one of his apostles so that we all would know of his love toward us. We need to consider in the second place how exactly the Lord Jesus goes about reinstating Peter to his office of service. Well, after that breakfast, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This question might very well come across as quite aggressive, rather in your face, perhaps even a bit obnoxious. Imagine the Lord asking you this very question, do you love me? Even more, do you love me more than the person next to you in the pew loves me? You cannot squirm from that question yet, let's not lose sight, brothers and sisters, of why the Lord Jesus asked this very personal question. Peter was the disciple who always wanted to be first. Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Well now, in light of that confession, and in light of Peter's denial... The Lord Jesus wants a sure commitment from Peter. But he doesn't want an overconfident commitment. The Lord Jesus here is not questioning so much Peter's love as his confidence. Peter, all of us know what you did. You vowed to commit yourself to me. You were confident you would do it, no matter what the others might do. And then you denied me. You went off all on your own. We all saw that. What are you going to say now? Simon, son of John. Brothers and sisters, the Lord knows Peter loves him. That wasn't the issue. The issue here was humility. Lord Jesus didn't want his office bearers to be so self assured, so self confident that they didn't see how weak they were in themselves. No, he wants humility from his office bearers. This is what the Lord wants to awaken in Peter's mind. And he is successful. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Notice that Peter does not respond by comparing himself with others. He's changed. There is no bravado anymore. There's no elevating himself. No, there's a real sense of humility in his answer. He's got a changed attitude, you see. Now he rightly concerns himself only with his own relationship to the Lord not to the others around him. You know that I love you. And we can also say that now Peter has an even greater appreciation for who the Lord is. It's the risen Lord, Master, whom Peter is talking with. Peter is a slave of this great Lord. So the Lord responds, feed my lambs. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has succeeded, we might say, in drawing out from Peter's lips a very humble confession. This is why the Lord asks him the same question again, this time without the words more than these. There's no more comparison. Simon Peter has indicated by his first answer that he no longer believes he loves the Lord more than the other disciples do. The Lord has heard Peter's answer, and so he reflects that, he shows that in the second question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He wants to ensure that Peter's first confession was not just based on emotion, on being caught up in the moment. He wants to hear Peter's determination to serve him faithfully. Peter, do you really love me? As you are about to be reinstalled as an an apostle, are you really willing to be associated with me unto the point of death? Peter gives him the same answer as before. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He shows that his first confession wasn't the result of being caught up in the moment. He shows that his confession is genuine. It's truthful. He really has had a change of attitude. He maintains his approach of not appealing to his own strength. He speaks in humility to his Lord. Yes, Lord, you know it. And the Lord again responds by letting Peter know that that's a fine answer. Tend my sheep. Show your love in obedience to my commands. But the Lord isn't finished just yet. He asks, yes, a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He needs to press Peter just a little further. And Peter likely thought that the Lord was still questioning his loyalty, and so he's hurt that the Lord asked him the same question for the third time. But the Lord presses Peter for a different reason. Peter's office is at stake, after all. His credibility as an apostle was at stake. The New Testament church had to be sure that this apostle was fully restored. And yet there's more congregation. The Lord Jesus pushes Peter really hard here because he wants Peter to be absolutely sure what his ministry in the church of Christ needs to look like. The foundation of his ministry is not bravado or bragging nor is it a ministry based on shame or guilt. The basis for his ministry, yes, also for our serving in the church, whether in the special offices or in the office of all believers, the basis is love. Our Lord Jesus questions Peter three times not to be obnoxious, not to beat a dead horse, but to lift Peter up out of the pit of his shame. He frees Peter from his embarrassing past by fanning into flames the embers of Peter's love for the Lord. Peter, this is what you need as you shepherd under me. We need to catch this. The love required of Peter is not love for the flock in the first place. That's what we may tend to think, that an office bearer does his work out of love for the people, and that's true. But instead, there's a much stronger foundation than people, because we are unlovable by nature to God, to each other, It's love for the Lord that is to be the basis for Peter's service, our service. Love for the Savior himself, the risen Lord. That's where our eyes go. Now, Why is it like this? Why should we press this point here? Love for the Lord is what sanctifies, purifies the church's service. Love for the Lord Jesus is what transforms the church and its work, makes it acceptable in God's eyes. In this life, our service in God's church will never be perfect. But with a service that is seasoned by love for Christ, our service is transformed into something beautiful. I suspect most of us can recall giving to our mom on Mother's Day, maybe last week, maybe years ago, a handmade gift that, in all honesty, didn't really look like too much. But that's not the point. We made it out of love, and that's how our mom received it. She looked past the imperfections and saw the love of her child. That's what makes the gift special. What makes our work among God's people pleasing in God's sight is if we truly love the Lord, that we do it for him, not in the first place for others. This is what he wants. He doesn't want braggers. He doesn't want guilt-ridden people, nor workaholics, nor perfectionists. He wants a people who serves his people out of love, pure love for him. This is the task that the Lord Jesus gives then to Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Yes? Then may that motivate your service. Yes, Peter needed to hear the Lord's question three times. And he needed to receive the Lord's threefold command. Taking care of the sheep is never, ever a simple job. Peter would be called to sacrifice in many ways. And apart from love for Christ, his work would be destined for failure. So it would be for us. But love for the Christ will be his strength. Love is what would motivate him to let go of personal pride for the sake of Christ's sheep. It's what will motivate us And empower us today to serve God's people, whether we are office bearers or members, whether we are older or younger. Then I ask you, on behalf of and by the authority of the risen Christ, do you truly love me? If you love your Lord, then he will give you the strength and the joy to serve your brothers and sisters. Not because you want their approval, even their affection. That's not what life is all about. We serve each other because of love for Christ and a desire for his blessings, his favor. And with service that is grounded in love for Christ, we will receive the strength to lay down even our life for his sheep, if we have to. That's our final point, where we see the promise in this reinstatement. After the Lord says for the third time in verse 17, feed my sheep. He goes on in verse 18 to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. What is our Savior saying here? I think he's telling Peter to expect the unexpected. When you were young, he says, That's a time in life where you enjoy a fair bit of freedom. You get to live with few responsibilities. It's normal. It's usual. Then Jesus gives the unexpected. When you are old. Typically, a time for known for peace, rest, tranquility. But the Lord says that for Peter, it's going to be different. You, Peter, who have lived at ease when you were young, will experience restriction when you are old. You're going to be governed by the will of another. And it will not be enjoyable. Look again at the second half of verse 18. You will stretch out your hands, and another will carry you where you do not want to go. Uh, That was a common way of speaking about crucifixion. And that's confirmed for us then in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. Uh, We know from church history that by the time John actually wrote these words in his gospel, the Lord Jesus' prediction had been fulfilled. Peter suffered martyrdom under Nero, He was crucified, apparently upside down. Now, why exactly does the Lord say these kind of things to Peter? Is it to throw a bucket of cold water on this joyful occasion at which Peter's been reinstated into office? By the way, Peter, I've brought you back into the fold, but I've also ordained it that you're going to suffer terribly no, the Lord isn't being nasty here. Rather, these words are very precious. There is good news and great promise in these words. The Lord was telling Peter that his earlier profession will now finally be fulfilled. I will lay down my life for you. That's now going to happen. Peter will yet have the opportunity to show his love for the Lord, love that's being humbled, love that's being transformed. The Lord is going to grant Peter the desire of his heart. Isn't that wonderful? Peter, you will yet be able to truly love me as you desire, with your very life, and in the process, you will glorify God as I did when I lay down my life. What a great promise the Lord gives. Peter will live out a love for the Lord that is empowered to do great things. So the Lord says to him at the end, follow me. Follow me down the road of self-sacrifice. You won't deny me this time but instead you will glorify me, your God in heaven. The Lord Jesus' call to follow him is also for us. He calls us to be faithful and diligent. He calls us to live in gratitude for what he's done for us. And at the same time, there's encouragement here in that he tells us that our following him Is not going to be easy. We will need courage in the midst of hardships. We will need resolve in bearing our cross, especially as we grow older, as we mature in the faith. It doesn't get any easier, does it? Our three sworn enemies, the devil, world, own flesh, never give up on attacking us. We need God's special grace to press on, to love the Lord till the end by obeying him. It sends us to our knees in prayer. We seek to glorify God by imitating our Lord and Savior. Peter, our Lord says, follow me into suffering and from there into glory he says the same to us today. Do you truly love me? Do you put aside all confidence in yourself and find your strength, your life, in me alone? Follow me through suffering, through death, into glory. Amen.